This episode is brought to you by Fidelity. Stock have too high a price? Buy a slice. Trade fractional shares of U.S. stocks and ETFs with zero commissions online. Visit fidelity.com slash stocks by the slice. Sell orders are subject to an activity assessment fee from $0.01 cent to $0.03 cents per $1,000 of principal. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSC, SIPC. Introducing Batiste's wet-activated and touch-activated dry shampoo. With breakthrough technology that absorbs oil and releases bursts of fragrance whenever you sweat or touch your hair for up to 24 hours, it's the ultimate hair care for girls on the go. Try the newest dry shampoo that's activated by you. Batiste, the future of hair care is here. Buy Batiste dry shampoo online or in store at your nearest retailer. And I have a special emergency edition of the FCPA Compliance Report. I have my good friend and colleague, Jonathan Armstrong, from Quartery Compliance in London. And we are here to talk about this week's Rolls-Royce, really global anti-corruption enforcement action resolution. Uh, so, Jonathan, welcome, and t- thanks for taking the time to visit with us. My pleasure, Tom, and thanks for inviting me. So, uh, Jonathan, I really wanted to focus um, on the U.K. aspect of this uh, as opposed to the United States, Brazil, or other global implications. But uh, what are some of the, I guess, um, key points for you sitting in London as a practicing lawyer in London from the anti-corruption compliance perspective? I think there are a number of really interesting aspects to the case. Um, I think the first is that uh, size is important, no matter what some people are told. And um, it's clearly, at today's exchange rate, about 807 million US dollars, which is almost exactly the same as the original Siemens fine back in 2008. So just as that sent waves through the corporate community, I think this case will as well. Uh, obviously, the, the 807 million U.S. includes the U.S. Uh, payment and the, and the small payment to Brazil. I think it's significant over here because obviously we knew that the Serious Fraud Office was an agency under threat. We know that Theresa May, the now Prime Minister, when she was Home Secretary, had talked about merging the SFO or subsuming it in a different agency. And I think that is much more likely to happen. 
we know that some people had said that the Bribery Act was a, a toothless tiger or that it was dead. And I think talk of its, um, its death has definitely been premature. And I think if I was, you know, to look across Trafalgar Square into David Green's office now, I think I'd see quite a happy director with, uh, with this turn of events. So, Jonathan, the, uh, you mentioned the global aspects of this case, and they truly are global. Um, the amount of the fine comes it brings this case in at, at number three of the top ten list of global anti-corruption settlements. Uh, number one is Odebrecht. Number two, uh, Siemens, uh, as there was a German component in addition to the United States component. And now we have uh, <clears throat> Rolls-Royce at number three with $800 million. So the typically when we see a fine in that range, really astronomical range, it's because there was a long-standing and systemic bribery program by the company. And, and reading the UK DPA, I certainly got that sense. Did you have that as well? Yes, I did. Um, I think it's important to say that obviously there's a huge weight of documents has been released, and I've, I've not been through all of them yet, but it has been, I think, pretty uh, systemic, and I think Rolls-Royce have admitted that. It's fair to say that I think the majority of the conduct hasn't been directly by Rolls-Royce, but it's been by those acting on its behalf, and obviously it's involved an awful lot of countries, Indonesia, Thailand, India, Russia, Nigeria, China, Kazakhstan, Brazil, Azerbaijan, Angola, Iraq, Malaysia. Um, so some of the perennial bad boys, uh, they're obviously they're difficult places to do business. They were even more difficult places to do business a number of years ago, but it does seem to have been a, a widespread scheme. And I think you're right, the global aspect is very interesting as well as it being a simultaneous settlement with the UK, the US and Brazil, the SFOs acknowledge the help it's received from Austria, Germany, the Netherlands, Singapore and Turkey. I was at an event with David Green in December and I think he was particularly singling out Singapore for praise in the help that they've been given, giving uh, in recent investigations. And I imagine that this is uh, one of those that he was talking about obliquely just before the break. Jonathan, you mentioned the use of third-party agents, which are, at least in the FCPA world, generally recognized as the highest risk. Here we have uh, a significant use of agents by Rolls-Royce and their bribery schemes. What sort of message do you think that the enforcement action um, sends to corporations about uh, use of third-party agents on the sales side of things? I think it's significant. I mean, obviously, the the time period here covers pre-bribery act and post, but we know that the the post-bribery act events, Section Seven has become very relevant. This failure to prevent, and it makes it much easier for prosecutions to be brought against corporations for failure to supervise their agents. So I think we're almost seeing a a slight turnaround, really, in terms of the use of third parties. It's up to corporations to prove that they have done all, all they can 
to make sure that they're supervising their supply chains. And, and obviously, there are a number of complexities here. You know, in one jurisdiction, I believe they were told not to use a specific agent, but they did. They just masked the payment to him. And Rolls-Royce have said that they are doing a root and brant investigation uh, into all of the third parties that they use. Many of them have been suspended. Some of them have been removed from the Rolls-Royce system. So uh, it, it clearly, un, un, it's unfortunate that it's taken an event like this to make Rolls-Royce look at all of those sales connections. The advantage I think other corporations have is they can take this as an opportunity to look at who sells on their behalf. Jonathan, I think a, a key difference in UK DPA practice and US DPA practice is that individuals in the United States can obtain a deferred prosecution agreement. It's rare, but occasionally it does happen. So Rolls-Royce agreement with the prosecutor appears to uh, include an agreement to assist an ongoing investigation of uh, individuals involved. Do you see uh, how that might play out uh, with uh, regards to individuals at the company? Because the uh, certainly the DPA uh, was quite damning in the information it presented on some of the individuals at the company and what they knew and what they did. I think we can't rule out action against former employees and also former agents. It that uh, there have been arrests of individuals as part of this investigation. It's probably important that we say that the fact that somebody is arrested or detained or suspected doesn't mean to, sh to say that they're guilty in any way. And we shouldn't put two and two together and make nine. But there are names that are uh, circulating as people who could be subject to uh, individual uh, investigation, and the DPA doesn't doesn't preclude that. Indeed, the opposite it has some interesting provisions in it. One of which is that, as is common, I think, in the U.S., that Rolls-Royce will cooperate with the investigation of individuals. But it also has, I think, a somewhat unusual clause saying that Rolls-Royce will ensure that certain evidence stays in the jurisdiction, presumably to make it easier for the SFO to get hold of if they wish to sweat that data uh, to see what they find from it. Jonathan, another component of the uh, facts presented in the statement of facts talked about what we would say in the United States is conferences, but what I think uh, is identified in the United Kingdom as education. Um, what did you kind of glean from the part of the DPA, or excuse me, the statement of facts around education, and what does it mean for the UK company under the UK Bribery Act. Yeah, I think this is interesting. There was a lot of talk prior to the act coming in about uh, uh, entertainment and about education being sometimes a cover for bad behavior. And the Ministry of Justice particularly, for those of you who don't know, the Ministry of Justice isn't the same as the Department of Justice. Ministry of Justice in the UK is a government body that puts the legislation in place, doesn't enforce it. But the MOJ were particularly exercised by educational trips, which were covers for bad behavior. And they'd given examples of things like a purported training event. 
that actually turns into a golf day or turns into a shopping weekend or, or something like that. Here, uh, we know that there were some Chinese officials that were sent on or offered a trip to New York where they studied for an MBA at a legitimate university. But whilst they were there, Rolls-Royce paid for them to stay in a four-star hotel. And what the court heard, well, they had lavish extracurricular activities. I think I'm slightly surprised that a four-star hotel is regarded as lavish I'd want to dig down and know exactly which holiday, which uh, hotel it was in, in New York. But it seems to me that we've had a long debate about what lavish means. Myself and other people ask if there could be slightly more detailed guidance when the guidance was out for consultation. That appeal was resisted. Uh, David Green has on occasion tried to clarify his thinking saying that, you know, for example, he doesn't think champagne is per se lavish. But I'm slightly surprised, I think, that four-star hotels have been included. It'll be interesting to know whether that was in keeping with Rolls-Royce's own travel policy for its employees, because we've often assumed as a rule of thumb that if you keep to your travel policy for those you are taking on trips, then you might be okay. It'd be interesting to know if, if any of this casts doubt on that assumption. Sort of from the U.S. perspective, a few years ago, most of us thought that gifts, travel, and entertainment, the, the rules were fa fairly well settled. People understood this. But uh, since that time, we've had multiple uh, Department of Justice and SEC enforcement actions where that was the, the component of the bribery scheme. And I guess from my perspective, Jonathan, it just reminds myself and many in the United States, once again, that uh, gifts, travel, and entertainment can be a fertile ground for a bribery scheme, and, and a compliance functionary or compliance function needs to uh, have oversight into that when appropriate. I think that's a great point, Tom. And I think the other slight difference here with the UK system is that were this case to have come to trial, it would have been... I think the jury who would have had to have determined whether it was lavish or not. And it seems to me because of the nature of jurors that we get on long running corruption trials, anything in New York is likely to be regarded as lavish. You know, if you're somebody who doesn't have the opportunity of foreign travel, you're going to regard that as glamorous and lavish as a result. So I think this will cause us to look at the standards that we offer, particularly for trips like this that didn't seem to be essential. I think we'll have to look at the purpose behind trips, the duration and the value uh, together to stay on the safe side of the law here. Jonathan, you mentioned in your opening comments about rumors of the death of the uh, Bribery Act were, were certainly premature. But I wanted to, to focus on the deferred, the deferred prosecution agreement as an instrument and uh, mm -hmm. whether you think that this case really uh, cements that DPAs are here to stay in the United Kingdom as part of the SFO's uh, 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 coterie of tools it can use to fight bribery and corruption. Yeah, I think they are here to stay as a result 
I think that um, my understanding is that the SFO were anxious to get some on the board in 2016. And I think we were always told to expect them not to be significant ones, the first one or two, so that they could make sure that the system worked. And and obviously this um, is a completely different ballpark, I think, this, this case. It's much more significant. Interestingly, all three DPAs that we've had from the SFO have all been heard by the same judge. And again, that's a difference, of course, in our system versus the U.S. system. DPAs do have to go before a judge. The judge has to bless them. The order was a little unusual here in that Rolls-Royce made a statement that a confirmatory hearing was coming. I believe they did that for um, stock exchange-related reasons. The SFO then confirmed uh, Rolls-Royce's confirmation, and then we had the hearing. So I think we won't have the – that will be an unusual order, and I think it was because of the likely effect on stock price, on share price, and the size of the deal. But I think DPOs are here to stay, and I think we're going to see this um, this process of DPAs continuing along almost in quiet, and then an announcement having been made after the final hearing. So, Jonathan, um, other than, uh, or rather in addition to the rumors of the death of the uh, bribery act being certainly premature and the perhaps confirmation of the DPA uh, instrument in the uh, UK uh, system, are there any other lessons uh, to be learned that you've been able to draw on sort of uh, on first blush, certainly not a deep dive, but any kind of higher level lessons that you could share with us at this point? Yeah, I, th- I think the other lesson uh, from my point of view as well is that there uh, is still this concentration on individuals and uh, and prosecutors on both sides of the Atlantic, I think, are anxious to try and improve their track record of prosecuting individuals. We've touched on that. I think that does help. And I think it's, again, management expectation. Management uh, are expected to play a role in stamping out corruption They can't be passive observers. They can't turn a blind eye. And the other final comment I'd make, I think, is that um, the uh, Rolls-Royce did get credit for the way in which they handled the inquiry effectively. This isn't a case where they'd self-reported. There were whistleblowers uh, involved, but then they did pick up the baton Uh, appropriately, and they got some credit for that. So for organizations, there are going to be all the usual things that we say about making sure that you have a proper investigatory procedure, make sure you investigate appropriately and expeditiously, because that will be essential for getting some sort of credit as well. Well, Jonathan, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to visit visit with us on this early date. We both have a lot of material to go through, and uh, Perhaps uh, we can uh, take it in a little more deep depth uh, on a later podcast. That sounds excellent. Nice to speak to you. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast. It certainly helps in our rankings. Also, I have uh, started a blog post series on the Rolls-Royce 
global anti-corruption enforcement action. So check out my blog for daily posts on it. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.